Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt. Most of my recent episodes have been a conversation with a guest, but in this episode, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about something that I've been focusing on recently, and that is ensuring that each scene in my current writing project has a scene turn or polarity shift. And I'll explain what I mean by this in a moment. Experts in this field who I respect, people like Robert McKee and Sean Coyne, the creator of The Story Grid, advocate that to make a scene really effective, something in it has to change. And that change can be from positive to negative circumstances for a character or indeed from negative to positive. The change can even be from negative to double negative, so from a difficult situation to something even worse, or conversely from positive to double positive. The point is that something happens, something important changes for the scene to work. I've come to think that this technique is a powerful tool in the writer's tool belt and so I want to explore it with you but as ever I'm going to approach this subject in as practical a way as possible. So let's first define what we're talking about here. The value shift, or scene turn, as it's sometimes known, is about the movement of a character or a story along a spectrum that really matters. Really matters to the characters and should really matter to the reader. So that spectrum could be truth to lies, honesty to dishonesty, despair to hope, lostness to meaning, suspicion to trust, or life to death. And when I look at this concept, what it seems to boil down to is that for a scene to work, something important has to change. Not just that there's activity, not just that people are talking, not just that people are busy, but that something important changes. Now, the flip side of this is that in a scene where nothing important changes, the reader will quickly lose interest. Whatever's happening on the surface, and superficially it can be a very busy scene, it will seem to the reader as if nothing is happening, and they will quickly get bored. And I want to give you an example of this, and to do that I have created a very short story with a few scenes in it. In its initial version, some of the scenes have this polarity change in them, and some of them do not. So what I'm going to do is read the story to you, scene by scene, and then we're going to look at it again, and examine these scene turns or polarity shifts to see whether they exist in each scene, and where they don't, think about where we could just take that scene out of the whole story. So here's the story. Once upon a time, there were some pirates who were very excited about a treasure map that their captain had. The map, drawn on flimsy cloth, showed where a huge treasure chest had been buried on an island in the middle of the ocean. They had been searching for many weeks for the island, and now, instead of being enthusiastic, they were thirsty, hungry, and angry. They were good and ready to mutiny, and so the first mate decided to go and see the captain. The first mate came to the captain in his quarters and argued that the crew were ready to mutiny. The captain said that he would find the island in the next day or so and they should be patient. The first mate said that the crew had run out of patience and he'd better sort this out quick. The captain and the first mate had just finished their argument when they heard a call from the crow's nest. Land ahoy! Someone had spotted the island and the pirates sailed towards it and landed. They searched for the landmarks on the map but couldn't find anything. While they were doing this, they were confronted by a fierce wolf who lived on the island. The pirates ran and climbed up some nearby trees, scared for their lives as well as frustrated by the difficulty in finding the treasure. 
While stuck up the tree, the pirates started to argue about how they were going to find the treasure and, more immediately, how they could escape the wolf. They started to blame the captain again. While they were stuck in these trees, the captain got the map out and stared at it again. Opposite him, clinging to a branch, was the first mate's younger brother, Ned, who was only with them in the crew because the first mate had promised their mother that he would look after Ned, who he actually considered to be a bit of a liability. Ned looked at the map that the captain was studying from the opposite side, and because it was on flimsy cloth, all of the details shone through, and looking at it from the opposite side, he realised that the landmarks made sense. Ned pointed out to the captain that actually they'd just simply been looking at the map the wrong way round and the captain agreed with him. Now all they needed to do was to work out how to escape from the wolf. The captain suggested that they draw straws, and the one with the short straw jumped down, drawing off the wall. The pirates argued about whether this was a good idea. Another one suggested that the person who should drop down and run should be the fastest amongst them. Still others said that the wolf would go away if they waited and they should just be patient. There was no agreement. While the pirates decided what to do, storm clouds gathered, the rain fell and the captain slipped from the tree, unable to cling on to a wet branch. The wolf started to circle around him. As it did so, lightning struck one of the trees that was next to where the captain was standing on the ground. It burst into flames and flaming branches fell to the ground. He grabbed one of the flaming branches and waved it at the wolf, keeping it at bay. The captain waved the flaming branch at the wolf, who circled around him growling and snapping at him. The rest of the pirates encouraged him to thrust the burning stump at the wolf. The captain desperately called up to his fellow pirates, saying that they must come down and all attack the wolf together, but his crew stayed firmly in the tree. As the rain passed, the captain still faced the wolf and clung onto his now smouldering branch stump. The wolf sensed that the chance to attack was coming. The captain called out to the other pirates, commanding them to drop down from the tree and help him attack the wolf. But none of them would do so, apart from young Ned, who, despite being very afraid, dropped to the ground and reached for one of the other smouldering stumps of branch. Between them, Captain and Ned killed the wolf, and the pirates descended from the tree to the ground when the wolf was dead, and began to argue about whether they should look for more wolves, look for the treasure, or return to the ship. Some believed Ned's claim that the map was in fact the wrong way round and if they just looked at it from the opposite side, all would be clear. The pirates decided to go after the treasure. They followed the map correctly by looking at the opposite side of it, found the spot where the treasure was and dug up the gold. Now there are 12 scenes in this story, so let's have a look at it again, identify what the scenes are and see which ones are really making a contribution and which ones are not. Once upon a time, there were some pirates who were very excited about a treasure map that a captain had. The map, drawn on flimsy cloth, showed where a huge treasure chest had been buried on an island in the middle of the ocean. They had been searching for many weeks for the island, and now their enthusiasm had evaporated, and they were thirsty, hungry, and angry. They were good and ready to mutiny, so the first mate decided to go and see the captain. This is scene one. And it's fine, as it is in the terms we're talking about here, because we see a polarity shift from the initial positivity of the pirates about finding an island with treasure on it to negativity because they're failing to find the island and now they're thirsty, tired and frustrated. Scene two. The first mate came to the captain in his quarters and argued that the crew were ready to mutiny. The captain said that they would find the island in the next day or so and they would, should be patient. The first mate said that the crew had run out of patience. Now this scene is not so helpful. It may be quite busy, there may be lots of conversation, but there's nothing that actually happens. The negative situation the pirate's in doesn't change, it doesn't get even more dangerous, it doesn't become positive. 
Scene 3. The captain and the first mate had just finished their argument when they heard a call from the crow's nest. Land ahoy! Someone had spotted the island and the pirates sailed towards it and landed. They searched for the landmarks on the map but couldn't find anything. While they were doing so, they were confronted by a fierce wolf who lived on the island. The pirates ran and climbed up some nearby trees, scared for their lives as well as being frustrated for their lack of finding the treasure. Now, there's a number of shifts in polarity in this scene. First of all, we have a positive shift, which is that the pirates have seen the island. They then get to the island, and then it's a shift back to negative, in fact, double negative, because not only can they not find the treasure, but they're now confronted with the threat of the wolf. So this scene has polarity shifts in it. It turns. We'll keep it in. Next scene, scene four. While stuck up the tree, the pirates start to argue about how they're going to find the treasure, and more immediately how they can escape from the wolf. They start to blame the captain again. Now this is another scene which we could consider taking out. There may be danger in it, there may be some activity, but actually there's nothing that really changes in terms of the circumstances of the pirates. Scene 5. While they are still up the tree, the captain gets out the map and stares at it. Opposite him, clinging to a branch, was the first mate's younger brother, Ned, who was only with them because the first mate had promised their mother that he would look after Ned, who he actually considered to be a bit of a liability. When Ned looked at the map from the other side, he realised that they'd been looking at the map the wrong way round. And because it was drawn on flimsy cloth, he could see all of the details shining through and realised that in fact that was the correct way to interpret the map. Ned pointed this out to the captain who agreed with him and told the others. Now all they needed to do was to escape from the wall. Now this scene is okay to keep in as well because the double negative polarity of being frustrated in not finding the treasure and having the wolf as a threat to them is moved slightly positively. So there's now only one threat. The map will be able to yield up the treasure. They still have to deal with the wolf. Let's move on to scene six. The captain suggested that they draw straws and the one with the shortest straw jumps down, drawing off the wolf. The pirates argued about whether this was a good idea. Another one suggested that the person who can run fastest should be the one that drops and still others thought the wolf would go away in time. Now this is another scene that we could probably get rid of. Although there is lots of conversation and lots of things happening, there's nothing that really changes in terms of the circumstances. There is plenty of content here and it's possible that we could salvage it, but the scene as as it is at the moment doesn't really work because there is no significant change in polarity. There's no change in the circumstances of the pirates or the captain or any of the characters involved. Scene 7. While the pirates decide what to do, storm clouds gather, the rain fell, and the captain fell from the tree, unable to cling onto the wet branch. The wolf started to circle him, and as it did so, the storm gathered pace, and lightning struck one of the trees nearby, and flaming branches fell to the floor. The captain grabbed one of the flaming branches and waved it at the wolf, keeping it at bay while he called up to his fellow pirates for help. Now this scene we should keep in. The circumstances certainly for the captain have changed. They have deteriorated. He was to some extent safe up the tree, but now he has to face the wolf on his own. Let's move on to scene eight. The captain waved the flaming tree branch and thrust it at the wolf who circled around him and growled and snapped at him. The rest of the pirates encouraged the captain to thrust the burning burning stump at the wolf while he commanded them to come down and help him. Now, this is another scene where there is a potential problem because, again, the circumstances in it don't really change. Scene 9. The captain desperately called out to his fellow pirates, saying that they must attack together and that if he died, they might lose the map. But they all stayed firmly in the tree. Now, this again is a scene that we could consider taking out. Although there's lots of threat, particularly to the captain, nothing significant happens. 
Scene 10. As the rain passed, the captain still faced the wolf, clinging onto his now smouldering branch stump. The wolf sensed that the chance to attack was coming. The captain called out to the other pirates, desperate for them to come and join him and help fight the wolf. But none of them would come down, all apart from Ned, who, despite being very afraid, dropped down to the ground, reached for one of the other smouldering stumps, and, between him and the captain, they overcame the wolf. Now this scene is better. There's a change in circumstances from the double negative of imminent death and frustration through to something quite positive. They've overcome the threat of the wolf. Scene 11. The rest of the pirates came down from the tree and argued about whether or not to look for other wolves, look for the treasure or return to the ship. Some believed Ned's claim that they'd just been looking at the opposite side of the map and that's all they'd got wrong. Others still did not. Now this scene again has a problem in that it doesn't have a significant change in circumstance. In fact, to a certain extent, it takes the energy out of the story. Nothing has been decided, nothing significant happens. So we move to the final scene. The pirates decided to go after the treasure and with the map the right way round, they found the spot and dug up a big chest of gold. So again, we go from a potentially positive to a very positive outcome. It's worth keeping that scene in. Now I hope you can see that from the 12 scenes here, we could actually safely remove an, a number of them. Certainly we could remove some and change or adapt others in the editing process. The story would still contain all of its essential elements, but it would be tighter, more interesting, and a better story than it currently is. All of the scenes we could remove are the ones where there's no turn, no polarity shift. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read the story to you again with all of the scenes where there are none of these polarity shifts or scene changes taken out. See what you think of it. Once upon a time there were some pirates who were very excited about a treasure map that their captain had. The map, drawn on flimsy cloth, showed where a huge treasure chest had been buried on an island in the middle of the ocean. They'd been searching for many weeks for the island and now their enthusiasm had evaporated and they were thirsty, hungry and angry. They were good and ready to mutiny and so the first mate decided to go and see the captain. As the captain and the first mate argued about what to do, they heard a call from the crow's nest. Land ahoy! Someone had spotted the island and the pirates sailed towards it and landed. They searched for the landmarks on the map, but they couldn't make sense of it. And while they were doing this, they were confronted by a fierce wolf who lived on the island. The pirates ran and climbed up some nearby trees, scared for their lives as well as frustrated by not being able to find the treasure. While they were still up in the tree, the captain got the map out and stared at it. Opposite him, clinging to a branch, the first mate's young brother Ned, who was only with them because the first mate had promised their mother that he would look after them, and who he really did consider actually a liability, looked at the map from the other side and realised that they'd been looking at the wrong side of the map. And because it was on flimsy cloth, all of the details shone through, and he could see that that was the correct way to read the map. Ned pointed this out to the captain who agreed with him, and told the others that all they need to do now was to get down and work out a way of escaping from the wall. While the pirates decided what to do, storm clouds gathered, the rain fell and the captain fell from the tree, unable to cling on to a wet branch. The wolf started to circle him. As it did so, the storm gathered pace and lightning struck one of the nearby trees, bursting it into flames and sending a shower of burning branches to the ground. The captain picked up one of these flaming branches and waved it at the wolf. As the rain passed, the captain still faced the wolf as he clung on to his now smouldering branch stump. The wolf sensed that the chance to attack was coming. The captain called out to the other pirates, commanding them to come down and help him. But despite doing this, none of them would join him. None, in fact, apart from young Ned, 
who, even though he was very afraid, dropped down to the ground, reached for one of the other smouldering stumps, and between them, the captain and Ned killed the wolf. The pirates all came down from the tree, looked at the treasure map, and decided that it was now the right way around. They followed the map correctly, found the gold, dug it up, and were rich. Now, this example may not be classic literature. In fact, I can tell you it isn't. But I hope it illustrates the point I'm making. And the things that we really need to learn from this are these. First of all, one of the absolute requirements for a scene to work is that something happens in it. Specifically, the polarity or the circumstances change. That could be from negative to positive, positive to negative, or further into negativity, further into positivity. And the other thing that we should realise is this principle holds even when there is considerable activity in a scene, even when there's considerable threat to characters or there's lots of activity going on. These things in themselves are not enough to capture the reader. So one of the must-haves for a scene to be effective is one of these polarity shifts or scene turns. And this is a particularly important point for us writers because many of us are very tempted to write scenes where we set out our setting or describe a character. And we could be very pleased with the imaginative approach that we've taken with creating a world or creating individuals to be in that world. So in my pirate story, I could have spent some time talking about the island and the sounds on it and what the scenery was like, the smells from the sea. I could have been talking about what the captain was dressed in, what was his manner, what was his attitude like. I could have said more about the first mate. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of these descriptions. There's nothing wrong with using sensory description, using sparse and specific description, as I've talked about in previous episodes. But on its own, it doesn't move the story on. It doesn't change the scene. And so whilst it's important for us to get all of these other things right, they cannot be the only thing that we put into a scene. The truth is that readers want to see something happen. They want to see a move on that polarity spectrum. And that's what we need to give them. So that's it for this episode. Today, I have made reference to The Story Grid, created by Sean Coyne. And you can find out more about that at www.storygrid.com. Com, and also to Robert McKee. And you can read more about McKee's ideas on this and other issues in his book, Story, Structure, Substance, Style, and the Principles of Screenwriting. I'll be back with another episode very soon. But until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.